0: But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward.
1: Amen, amen. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, your, your great and holy word um, given to us um, by uh, the very words uttered from your mouth um, through, uh, through men um, who, who came um, to bear witness. Uh, about, about the Son of God um, and about the ways of God, um, so, that of God uh, formed, um, so that the people of God would be formed, so that the people of God would understand and know who you are um, and who you've called us to be. Um, Lord, again, uh, we, we just submit ourselves to your word, submit ourselves to you this morning, and uh, we are grateful for our time here in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. You may be seated. You, you might be wondering, how in the world are we gonna get through all that? Well, we uh, We will. Today's today's approach uh, to this text is going to be a little bit different than what we uh, are used to, um, mainly just because of some of the nature and the context of of this passage of scripture. What's going on? uh, What 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 is being accomplished? um, And and really just want to spend some time helping us understand how this applies to us today. But really, as we get into that, I think it's important to acknowledge that I I don't think that there's anyone here um, who is unaware of being misunderstood or maligned. Anybody? Uh, maybe you have felt in your life misunderstood on a deep level, uh, maybe even maligned for something. Uh, maybe even when you have stood for something that uh, you fully believe is right. Am I the only one? Um, and so I, I think that, that, that we we're very aware of that. This is, this is something that, may exp- that we may experience um, as a result of standing for something um, that, we, that we deeply believe in, um, which often comes at a, at a pretty great cost, um, standing for something that we believe in, and it's often uncomfortable and painful for us to walk through and experience. And so what I want us to see, church, is that as Christians, the Bible gives us a very sufficient, that's kind of redundant, by the way, you know that, right? Very sufficient, it's kind of like saying the same thing twice. Sufficient, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how else you'd say it. What? Anybody else have some fun redundancies? Uh, like a round circle? Yeah, kind of, kind of redundant. Uh, but we have sufficient um, support from the scriptures in the times of trials um, and in the times of, of suffering. And so the Bible gives us a very sufficient framework Uh, for the inevitability of suffering and persecution. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul, well after the life and the ministry of Jesus, Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And such is the nature of today's text. From the very words, uh, from the very mouth of our Lord, um, pretty much, saying the same thing and, and really laying a foundation for us. And so as we saw several weeks ago, in the first 15 verses of this chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, in the first 15 verses, Jesus has given his disciples a very specific mission uh, or a very specific message to be taken to a specific people, and that was the Jews. Remember, Jesus told his, Jew, told his disciples, go and share this message only with the Jews. Don't go in, down any roads to lead you to Gentiles. Go only to the house of the lost sheep, of Israel, And so the message that they were going to share in essence was that Jesus was here, the Messiah was here, that the, the one who the Jews had believed for many, many, many years was here and it was in Christ that he was here. And so this message, Jesus assured them, is a message that was going to be rejected by many people. Matthew writes about um, the order given by Jesus to his disciples, and essentially Jesus is telling them what to do. And so as specific as this particular mission is, um, church, let me just say something. Um, today, we are not given that same mission to go only to the uh, lost sheep of the house of Israel, are we? Uh, we are not given that same exact message. In fact, Jesus will later broaden this mission, even in his disciples' life, and say, now go into all the world proclaiming among all the nations all that I have taught you, all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you till the end of the age. And that's a very uh, bad uh, kind of just from memory reciting of that verse. And so I apologize for that. But Jesus will broaden this message. But Jesus in this text is writing about this particular message. And so as specific as this particular message is and mission is to the Jews, or the disciples that Jesus has given, we must understand, church, that no passage of scripture, no text of scripture fails to apply to us right here and now. If if all we do is just kind of kind of stick our heads in the text and, and and have no way of giving handles to the things um, that God is calling us to and as living faithfully, as uh, on mission here in this world in this day and age, then we've not done our job well. And so this very much applies to, this very much um, is directed to a very specific mission that Jesus gave to a very specific people. But we must understand how this applies to us today. And so our context, our time, our, our culture may be different, but our Lord, our, his gospel and his teaching are the same. We have the same Lord. The same gospel, the same teaching, and the same eternal implications apply to us today and are essentially helpful and timely for our moment. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every... Did you hear that, church? That is, that is really good news for us that we have a, a book that is sufficient in its content in order to produce in us the thing that God is, d- desires to produce in us. Did you hear that? That, that? that the scriptures say of themselves, the scriptures say of itself, the writers of the scriptures say of itself that the, that the writings found in this book are sufficient for us to live the kind of life, and for us to become the kind of people that God wants us to become. Man, what good news that is. And so to describe the challenge, hopefully you kind of feel some tension here, but to describe the challenge of how to apply an ancient text and an ancient context to our modern times, the, the, uh, a British theologian named John Stott wrote a book called Between Two Worlds. It's a catchy, very catchy title, Between Two Worlds. And essentially, it's a, it's a preaching book. So I, I don't expect a whole lot of you to read this book unless you want kind of a, to, to, to learn about uh, kind of like the ins and outs of, of preaching and things like that. You're probably like, well, you need to read a lot more preaching books, bro. Um, well, this particular preaching book is is uh, a, a book that kind of helps us understand how to take an ancient text, apply it to modern times. Now, remember, the, the text as we read it has an intended meaning. It has one meaning. Now, people differ on interpretation. People differ on ways to apply that text, but just know that in its original writing that it has an intended meaning, an intended audience, um, and it it has one meaning. That's the way that God has written his word. And then we as people, as faithfully to the text as we can, seek to apply and seek to understand it um, and, and how it and, and what it what it how it uh, how we understand it today. And so what John Stott did is says that the preacher stands um, in two worlds. Um, he, the, the preacher is a man positioned between two worlds, and his task is to bridge the two, the original meaning, and how it applies to us today. So we 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 kind of straddle this line of here's what this text may, means in its original writing and, and in how it applies to us today. And so this I, I bring all this up because this seems to be a great application for the kind of text that we see today. Um, for, for the text that we're in today in Matthew chapter 10. We we see the original meaning, the original intended audience, the original goal of this text and then how it applies to us today. And so this is going to tell us, this is a text which tells us of a specific mission in the first century, but with deep, rich implications for us today, church. Today, in fact, a large chunk of our time will be spent on seeing those principles that span time. And so as as I said, today's gonna be a little bit different. Um, Normally, I've got like two or three things that we look at from the text. I don't want this to scare you. We've got eight things today. You're like, oh man, today Daniel's looking at his watch. Uh, today is a good day to take notes uh, because I, I really believe that what the Lord wants to show us in this text um, is for us to understand some things. And so we've even got some notepads in the back. I brought those notepads out. If, if, today's one of those days to take some notes because it's, I hope, my, my prayer is that it's very helpful for us. Um, and, and, and you're gonna see why. In today's text though, fundamentally, Jesus is telling his disciples that the nature of the mission that he is sending them on and giving them great confidence in the Lord of this mission that he's given. That's kind of the main point of this text. That's what's going on. If you wanna read this text and you wanna come away with a summary statement, what is going on here? Well, what is going on is that Jesus is telling his disciples about the mission that he's just given them. He says, go out into to all the byways and highways and, and, and tell, the, tell the, lost, the, the, the sheep of the lost house of Israel, tell them this good news message. And now Jesus is expanding upon that. And he's saying, this is what it's gonna be like when you go out there. And he's going to give us a great deal of confidence in the Lord of that place where he is sending them. And so we must keep this in this text in its proper context and historical backdrop. And and we'll spend and and we spent all of our energy several weeks ago through the first 15 verses really seeking to establish and understand that. Here's what I want us to do today. Here's what I want us to, to, to do today. Today, our time will be spent applying these timeless truths of this text to our to our cultural moment, and, and, and here's that we don't we don't normally again we don't normally do this, but I think it's very important for the moment that we're in, as a culture, um, f- facing the things that we face, to address these timeless truths in this text, applying them to how we go today. Here's here's what I've learned, church family, um, that, that if that if we we preach the Bible, and that's what we're committed to. You know that if you've been with us for any length of time, um, if you go like talking behind my back after this, you're like, we just don't preach the Bible, hopefully someone's gonna look at you and be like, you're crazy, that's exactly what we do all the time, we preach the Bible. Um, but what I, what I also know is that if, if I, as a pastor, as a shepherd of the people of God, as a faithful preacher of the word of God, don't help us to understand um, our times through the lens of the Bible, not understand the Bible through the lens of our time, but rather help us apply our times to what the Bible has constantly said, that here's what I have discovered, even about myself. We're gonna go find how to do that in a million different places. We're gonna go, y'all are gonna, we're gonna leave here. You're gonna be met with some crazy headline tomorrow um, you're going to see some crazy article come across your social media feed, and then you're, you're going to work to, to do all that you can to compose a list of resources that help you understand this thing. And what our job here is to help, the, help our people use the Bible as its primary and sufficient source in doing that. And so we're going we're gonna to address some things. We're not going to like dive deeply, but I'm going to give you here in just a minute. now. I am aware of several critiques um, and several cautions on this. One of those being, just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Let me, let me, let me say something about that. The gospel is of first importance. Amen? The Bible says that. Um, Paul does not say that the gospel is of only importance. The, Bible te- the, 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 the scriptures teach us many, many things, don't they? The, the, the scriptures teach and address things beyond the gospel, now, the gospel is the main message, the, the, the one single message that's threaded all throughout. You read Genesis, you read Revelation. I hope you don't miss the gospel in those places. But the Bible instructs us instructs gospel people how we are to live and how we are to relate with one another, that the gospel essentially has implications is one way that you could say it. The gospel is the life-saving message of the the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what we place our faith in. But But the Bible in many, many ways instructs us beyond those simple truths, those simple, profound, life-changing truths. And so the gospel is of first importance, but the Bible teaches us many things and instructs Christians in many ways who believe the gospel. And many, I'm afraid, who say this, that just preach the gospel, pastor, really use it as an excuse to retreat. Oftentimes, use it as an, as an excuse to retreat rather than a summons to push back on real darkness that is very prevalent in our world. And if you haven't felt that, if you haven't sensed that, um, welcome to the, the light. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the, the outside world. And so here's, here's what we're gonna do. I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm gonna confess. I'm gonna confess that I'm guilty of this. I'm gonna confess that I am guilty. You know what, we just, like, we just, we're just gonna preach the gospel, we're just gonna stay like, in, in, this, in this lane, and often what it has meant for me is that I retreat from things that God is calling us as a church to speak very powerfully and prophetically into. And so what I'm aware of is I talk to more and more and more of you who are in the secular workplace, that those who are working out in, in the world, the world is growing increasingly more anti-Christian. Now, if you've been around long, you know I'm not like a like a chicken little. Sky is falling. Like let's let's uh, you know let's just let's fight everybody. You know I'm not like that, and I'm not going to give a whole lot of caveats like that today. We want to preach what the text is is preaching. But if you haven't noticed, the world is is growing more, increasingly more and more anti-Christian. Not just neutral to Christianity, not just neutral to people of faith, not just neutral to the values of the people of God, but, but very actively against who we are and, and who we have followed. In fact, various dominating aspects of our culture, things such as an increasing anti-authoritarian spirit, things such as sentimentalism or Therapeutic views of man, progressive disdain for what, is, for what is naturally good and basic to all societies. The, and then maybe what's most, the thing that's just pushing us constantly is this radical sexual licentiousness that covers just a, 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 a wide array of ideas and topics. These things are a reality for, for us, church family, aren't they? They're a reality for us. And, and I believe that the word equips us for this moment. Now, we don't have time and I don't have the ability today. Like, I just don't have like the capacity or the ability today to, to diagnose and navigate all of those things today and address each of those things specifically. But let me give you two things. It is our goal as a church this year, this year to, to help our people better equip or to equip our people um, to think through some of these issues that we're facing. I think, it's, I think it's important for us to do that, and we're going to start today with just these, these eternal principles that Jesus gives his disciples, what he's told them about the mission that he's sending them on, and the same kind of mission that he has sent us on, that there are principles here, there are things here that God has told his disciples that very much apply to us today. And so it is our goal this year to equip our people to think through and to, and to navigate this world with through the lens of the scriptures. And then second thing is that we're going to allow the word to be what shapes us. We're gonna allow the word to be what shapes us. We are unapologetically a gospel-formed, word-shaped people. Um, listen, I listen to a lot of commentary. I listen to a lot of, I listen to, to news, I listen to, to, to different, uh, differing uh, po- uh, views, news-wise, um, and, and I take those in, and sometimes I just have to say, like, no more. And it's, it's very quick and very easy to, to realize that you are becoming more and more shaped and formed by these things and by God's word. And What our job here today is to help our people think through these things, but as a primary source, the word of God being that primary source. Are we saying that there's other sources that aren't good? No, we believe in, in, in common grace. We believe that, that God is... God's grace is is known throughout the world in varying different ways. And so there are ways, there are are good Christian thinkers and good Christian leaders who are writing on these things that we would highly recommend and say, read that, but always weigh it up against this. Always weigh it up against this. And so in light of this, you're like, just get to the text. We're gonna get to the text. That's that's why today's a little bit different and I even feel kind of the, the drag of it. But in light of this, I actually, uh, good news. I don't have eight things. I have seven things. So there we go. See, I already, I already just chopped some off. In light of this, I want us to look at seven things that the mission of Jesus to his disciples require, and and that apply to us today in being faithful to his mission. Okay, we're going to look at this text, and we're going to see seven things. Now, there's probably many things. But we're going to see seven things in particular that the mission of Jesus to his disciples in this text requires them to do and who he requires them to be that also apply to us today. And the first thing is, I've got them, I'm going to have them up on the screen for you. Uh, super simple. We're going to say thank you to Emma for doing this. Um, and, and so here we go. The first, thing that, the, the, the first thing that the mission of Jesus requires of his disciples is clarity. We need a, a level of clarity on what our mission is. Amen? What is our mission? If we don't have clarity on what our mission is, then we, we're just going to be just a lot of uh, like rogue people fighting a bunch of different things and, and going after a lot of different things that in the end don't really matter. Or we don't have purpose behind what we're warring and waging war against. And so we need great clarity. We see that. Um, Really, this is the context of the whole passage. And then we'll get more specific in just a minute. The disciples have great clarity and they know their orders. It's a specific mission and an order to go only to the Jews. But we know that from the end of this book that Jesus tells the same 12 people, now take it to the ends of the earth. So, so the mission is specific in Matthew chapter 10 and going only to the Jews. And by, the, and by Matthew 28, Jesus said, same people, remember, these same 12 people, Jesus says, now take this and go. Take it to the, to the ends of the earth. And so what Jesus tells them here is connected with that mission. In fact, what you notice about Matthew chapter 10 is that it, the, the rest of the book of Matthew actually doesn't record I'm trying, making sure this is right. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. The rest of Matthew doesn't record any of these specific 12 disciples experiencing these things that Jesus tells them they're going to experience. Now, chapter 11 tells of John the Baptist. Can't wait till we get to that in a couple weeks. That'll be fine. Um, but we see that Jesus is telling them that this is what's going to happen. And we don't see anywhere in the book of Matthew these things actually happening. And so what Jesus is telling them is that as, as you go out on this mission and as I prepare you for the mission, not only to the Jews but to the nations, this is what's going to happen. And let me tell you from history, we know very well the, 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 the uh, fate of many of these disciples, who gave their lives for the mission that Jesus had them on. And so as we begin to engage and live within the moment that we're in, what we face the danger of is constantly reacting and allowing what is of first importance not to be our primary message. You hear that? I, I, I'm sorry I'm putting, putting us to sleep this morning, but here we go. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get rolling here in just a second. Let me say that again. As we begin to engage and live within the moment that we are in, if we don't have clarity on what our mission is as the church, as the people of God, the danger that we face is constantly reacting and allowing what is of first importance not to be our primary message and sometimes not to be a part of our message at all. That happens, you know that? Like we can fight for good things. We can work towards good things and miss the main thing. But when we have, when the main thing stays the main thing, then the other things that we ought to be pushing towards and leaning into really begin to fall into place well. This is not me saying just only ever preach the gospel. Hey, proclaim the gospel, understand your message, understand with clarity that that's what it is. But we must be clear on what is truly at stake. We must be clear on our message and, and, and let me also be clear if I haven't already. Many of these issues that we're facing as a culture and as a society are very much gospel issues. They are issues that we must meet with the gospel and at their core have a, have a, a, a total misunderstanding and abandonment and a rejection of the gospel of Jesus. And they are very much against what gospel people are all about. The second thing that we must be about, verse 16, let's read this. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The second thing that we must have in this mission is not only clarity, but secondly, confidence. We must live with great confidence. We have great confidence in our going and in our engagement, namely because of who we have with us. But we can be confident in this because verse 16 says that Jesus sent them out. Did did anybody catch that? Typically if I'm a parent and I know my children are in great danger, I'm probably just gonna keep them in the house, right? The text says that everything that follows after verse 16, the basis of it is we have a savior and a Lord who actually commissioned and sent them to go. He did not protect them. He did not keep them from this danger. In fact, as we know from the history of the church and the history of the way the gospel has moved, it has been through the persecution of the people of God. And so Jesus knows this, I'm gonna send you out. And so we have great confidence in this because Jesus foresees their sufferings just as Jesus foresaw his own and he instills into them great confidence in their going. And, and, and you realize like the juxtaposition here of, of, what, of what he says and, and the, the way that Jesus juxtaposes his disciples and how they are to go about navigating a hostile world. They're to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's kind of a, a weird comparison, right? How do, you, how do you do that it sounds like a it sounds like a tightrope that I've got to we've got to be walking but I but ultimately what I believe that this means is that because we have great confidence in a sovereign king there are moments where we are to speak and there are likely moments where we are to keep silent there are there are moments to speak moments to engage moments to keep silent but we also have confidence because the text tells us that Jesus promises his disciples that the spirit will be present with them and I have Here's something I've noticed about people in this room who I've had, this, I've had several conversations this week about what people in this world and in this moment and in the, in the working and the spaces that they're working in, here's what I've noticed about our people. And, and this is what gives me great confidence and comfort in even speaking on this topic today. This is not like a corrective sermon I'm having to preach. Hey, I'm greatly encouraged and challenged by the way, that people in this room who are working in places that are hostile to the faith, hostile to those values are engaging this. And I can give you several examples of, see this person, uh, see, see this person, wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. They're, they're navigating this, this moment very well. The third thing that Jesus um, indicates that his disciples will need in this mission um, is courage. So we need clarity on our mission. We need confidence in the one who sins and then disciples in the mission that God has sent us on is courage. Let's look at verses 26 through 31. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Those those are the verses we're gonna read for courage. Along with this confidence that we have in our Lord and his mission, we have great courage in the midst of it, right? We have great courage. We are confident, we are of confident Courage. We are confidently courageous because even sparrows and the hairs of your head are known and numbered by a sovereign God. We have courage because we are deeply known and deeply cared for by a sovereign God. We have confident courage not in ourselves, but in the very great promises of God. Romans 16:20, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's just so, so succinct and so direct. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Has anybody signed off a letter before like that? Paul's Paul's kind of signing his letter. He's like, hey, you know, all things work together for good. You know, Israel, you know, Romans 9, Romans 10, like, man, deep theology, Romans 4, 5. And then like, he's like, "Tell, tell your family I said hi. Oh, yeah, and the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Start signing letters like that. Paul does, and it is of great encouragement to us, right? <laughs> that that though, we, though we live in uncertain times, though we live in a world hostile to, to us, hostile to the, the people of God seeking to live a way that glorifies him, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Man, what a, what a beautiful thing. All right, here we go. Maybe you feel good after the first three things. Maybe you're like, yeah, all right. Clarity, confidence, and courage, well, the fourth thing that uh, that is required of us in the mission of God that He's sending us on is consequence. The fourth thing is consequence or cost, great consequence or cost. Look, look at verses thirty-four through forty-two. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Our following of Jesus and our faith will come at a great cost. It is highly consequential. You may lose family, you may lose friends, you may lose your status, you may lose your job, you may lose your income, you may lose your life. Even in this room today, I, I, love, the, I love the stories that are like in this tiny little room with the dirty windows, if you haven't noticed. Now you're gonna be looking at the windows the whole time. I love the, the stories in this room, many many stories. I'm encouraged by them. I won't say I love them. I'm, I'm very encouraged. I'm very, um, I'm, I'm very uh, strengthened by, by the stories that there are those in this room who could speak of the great cost that is associated with following Jesus. And we, we rejoice in that truth and in that fact, as ironic as that is, that we rejoice that there are those in this world, even those of us, who have counted the great cost, and who understand the great cost, and, and understand the very real experience of what these verses speak of. But as we talk about consequence, consequence typically carries with it a negative connotation, doesn't it? You think, oh, you know, my mom's gonna gonna, gonna whoop me. That's the consequence. Hey, consequence is somewhat of a neutral word, um, sometimes it speaks negatively, but sometimes it speaks positively. Can I just say that what is, that, that what is required and what is expected of the disciple of Jesus is consequence, both, both maybe in a negative way and what you'll lose, but guess what? There's also something that you gain. What the text says is that, is that the disciple is, is a, is, is lives in a very consequential spot, not only because of what they may lose, but because of what is gained in following Jesus, Paul says this perfectly. Hey, he essentially says like they can take my life if they want to be to you know if I if I leave here I get to be with the Lord. Man, imagine imagine having to deal with that guy in prison, right? I've heard preachers say this. So I'm kind of robbing this example, but imagine having to deal with that guy. We're gonna kill you. Oh great, I get to go be with Jesus. Ugh, then we'll keep you alive and beat you. Wonderful. Then I then I get, you know then then more glory to the Lord from my life. And, and what, what this text tells us is, that, is that, the, that the disciples' life is highly consequential, that it will either come at a great cost, that it, that it may come at a great cost, but ultimately it comes at great reward because of who our treasure is, because of who our Lord is. Even in our death as disciples, reward awaits faithfulness. Hey, we need as a church as a people, we probably need to understand rewards in the Bible. Like people have either <laughs> taken taken it to extremes when it comes to rewards or people have all but all but abandoned the biblical idea of rewards. Can we just say we believe in heavenly reward? We believe that faithfulness is rewarded by our Lord. We believe that that there will be those who stand before the Lord with with greater reward for what they have done, not like as a way of works, not as a way of acceptance, not as a way of righteousness. Our righteousness is in, through faith in Christ and his work alone. But when one day when we stand before the Lord, he will see what we have done for him. And there is a biblical theology of rewards that we ought to understand in a more d- deep and thorough way. And so this, there is hopeful consequence that we can be confident in our reward as disciples of Jesus, that's what, that's what the text tells us there in verses 40 through 42. Jesus speaks of an end to all of this multiple times in this text and points to this future reality. Peter, who's writing to a suffering, persecuted church in the first century, confirms the positive consequence of living a set-apart life in 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. It says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will completely restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Family, your faith may have great cost or consequence, but please know that your faith and your commitment to Jesus is by no means at all inconsequential. It is not insignificant nor inconsequential. The fifth thing um, that we see that is required of the disciple is uh, communion. Now you're thinking communion, like Lord's Supper? Okay, we do that every Sunday. I'm good. I'm in, bro. It's not what we're talking about, although that is a very important part. But what we're talking about is communion with God, fellowship with God. God, look at verses 19 and 20. I want, I want us to see this. As, as you notice, we're not addressing every little thing that's in this text, mainly because, so, so you're like, all right, all right, pastor, you're skipping, talking about hell. Hell's here. Jesus is going to talk about hell later in a little bit more specific of a way and more specific of a context. We'll get there, okay? Let's let's, let's be patient. Um, we're not addressing every single little piece of this text, um, but but, but what we see in, uh, in uh, 10, 19, and 20, I think is very important. And so let's read 19 and 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The fifth thing that is required of disciples to live this faithful life that God is calling them to on the mission that he's called us to is communion with him that we would have communion, that we have fellowship with God. Can Can I tell you that in the midst of the moment that we're in, listen up, in the midst of the moment that we're in, finding the fight is not the hard part. In the moment that we're in, as a culture, finding and identifying and locating the fight, the good fight, by the way, finding that fight is not hard, is it? Again, Open your newsfeed. Open the newspaper. Turn on the news. The hard part. I want to. I want to put this before us because it's going to get. This we're going to get as we get to point seven. It's going to get more and more personal for us. the The hard part that we have to fight for is daily communion with God. Daily communing with the Father and being in the presence of our heavenly Father. Finding the fight is not the hard part. Communing with the Father is. And we must commune. Jesus promises his disciples here in 19 and 20 that in the moment of consequence, his disciples will be given the words to speak. And you know what this doesn't mean? This doesn't mean that the disciples are robots. It doesn't mean that God's gonna like plug in something in the back of the disciples when they're standing before the synagogues and before the leaders and just voila. You know what what is assumed and necessitated by disciples who are following Jesus? They are people who are with Jesus, daily with Christ, in communion with the Father, daily. So so what this does mean is that those moments, when you're in those moments of that fight that that, that we're in, in, that in these moments... That, that there will be required of, of us a kind of clarity and a kind of confidence that is birthed by, from being in deep communion and fellowship with God. In those moments where you are talking to your boss, talking to the, to the tribune of people, <laughs> Tribune is not really a word that we use, that the counsel of people at your job when they're weighing, weighing how to deal with you because you're just not fitting into what they want for you, that in that moment, you need a level of clarity, a level of confidence, and a level of courage that's not just gonna well up within you and the Spirit, The Lord's just not gonna like throw something down. No, it's going to be the result of you being in communion and in fellowship with God in the back room, in the quiet in the quiet place, that in the morning your first your first reach isn't the phone. Hey, I struggle with that. <laughs> I was talking with Robbie about that this week. My struggle is, you know, we were talking about reading the word and and, and the first opportunity. The, what do we call it? The first first chance you get. Chance you get uh, Fcyg. Fcyg. The Fcyg. Most of my first chance I get is reaching over for my phone, reaching over to the remote to turn on the news. No, the clarity and the courage and the confidence in those moments where you are having to defend what you believe is not going to just well up within you from nowhere. It's going to be the result of a deep communion and fellowship with the Father. That's where that comes from. And so in the moments, in the, in the moments that I am nearest to God and in communion with him is, is when something like wise as serpents and innocent as doves makes sense. <laughs> like, Man, when, I, when I'm not in a, in a very clear moment, that makes no sense to me. I'm just like, man, I just need to like barge in and turn tables. I just need to barge in. And, and I'm not saying that that's, that's never not, not right. But what I am saying is that when I'm thinking clearly and when I'm, when I'm in communion with the Father, that that those kinds of things, these kinds of ways that God calls us to, to interact in the world makes better sense. It is when I'm out of step with him that I almost scoff at something like that. Why is a serpent and innocent does What is... What does that even mean? I'm totally confounded by it. Or our, our, our equipping for these moments comes as a result of fellowship with God. Someone read Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. This is the Psalm that we started with today, but Psalm chapter 27. My prayer is in these moments that we are a people who have been with the Lord. That we are a people in communion with Him and in fellowship with Him. Then, the sixth thing that's required of disciples in these moments is, is uh, I can't, I've got it different on my notes than up here. What does that say, Emma? This sixth thing consecrational conformity. What in the world does that mean? That means conforming in such a way that is holy, conforming to the Father, conforming ourselves to the image of who Christ is, not conforming to those things around you, but consecrational essentially means holy or set apart, a holy conformity to who God is and who he has called us to be. What is certain from the whole of scriptures is that we are to settle in, church family. Let's settle in and get comfortable as those who don't feel at home in this world. Anybody feel that? Anybody feel a little bit more and more out of touch with what's going on in this world? Or are you totally at home in it? Let me just say, there's not much precedence for that among the people of God. Among those who are true followers of Jesus, there's there's not a whole lot of precedence for those who feel right at home. And we see that in 1 Peter. But what is powerfully true is that we are right at home with Jesus. Amen? Amen. We are right at home when we are with Jesus. In our conformity to him, we are also comforted by him in the fact that nothing that we could ever experience is unknown or outside of the purview of of his knowledge and his awareness. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through four. I'll read that so that we can just get through this. Then we got one more thing. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. By the way, the context for this is the writer of Hebrews is referring to all the people who gave their lives for what they believed. And then he's saying, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such this great cloud of witnesses who have experienced things that that maybe us in this world are experiencing, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What the writer of Hebrews says is, Jesus resisted to the point of shedding his blood, the one who experienced such hostility from those around us. And so not only is Jesus unaware of what you're walking through, what Hebrews tells us is Jesus has walked the path before you. Jesus himself gave his life for what he calls us to give his life for. And then the seventh thing that I want us to see, that as the people of God, uh, the, the, the verses for the, the, the passage that um, talks about our consecration and conformity, Matthew 10, 24 through 25, look what it says. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So we are conforming to the way of Jesus. We are conforming to the way that he has lived. If they've maligned him, they will malign you. If they have maligned the leader of the house, they'll malign the residents of the house. And that's what Jesus is telling us. And so so the the final thing is this. Hopefully you'll follow me through on on this. The seventh thing that um, is required of disciples of Jesus is that they are confessional people. And you're like, what, is, what in the world does that mean? Well, this, this may be more of an implication. Uh, verses 32 through 33 says, says this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. I'm not saying that, what, what I'm not saying right here, but is true, is that we are people who confess of our sins. That's true. Disciples' confession. Confessing when we don't follow Jesus. Confessing when we do have fear. Confessing when we, when we are. And, and, and in those moments, you know what the Bible says, right? That he is faithful and just to forgive. He's not punishing you. He's not condemning you for your fear. But that in those moments, we have an advocate in Jesus. What I am saying is 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 that the confession of sin is certainly crucial to our following of Jesus, but the confession of sin is not so much what's in view. One of the things that the modern church has abandoned, this is just kind of like, here's our final final point, like I said, more of an implication. One of the things that the modern church has abandoned, including Grace Harbor, this is a little bit of a confession of my own. One of the things that the modern church has abandoned is the practice of being a confessional people, like uh, uh, reading confessions together, being a creedal, confessional people, being people who corporately confess sin and people who corporately affirm what we believe and people who corporately, congregationally read what we, read what we believe and, and say together um, the, the corporate affirmation of what we live many times because what we say is the Bible is sufficient. Again, please know that is our 130,000% posture here that the Bible is sufficient. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know our stance on that, but present throughout history present throughout the history of the church and the people of God have been the active corporate confessions of faith actively corporately congregationally confession of our faith they have never been at any time viewed as more authoritative or sufficient than the scriptures and and many people will say well they just become so so rote and so you know so so methodical and so just just, we, we just kind of start spouting them. In that case, I pray that you would confess and allow the Lord to renew the things in your heart and your mind. It's kind of the same thing we talk about with Lord's Supper. It wasn't until later, later centuries, and the more Western that the church got, that they started abandoning the weekly practice of the Lord's Supper together. And then we kind of slapped on this reason, well, we just don't want it to become too, what's the word I'm looking for? Too mundane. I'm say we, we do lots of things. There's There's lots of things that we do habitually that may become mundane but are good for us, right? Do we sleep every night? You're like, well, don't compare that to Lord's Supper. No, I would absolutely compare that to that. And so present throughout history, again, have been these active corporate confessions of faith, and they've never at any time, no one who ever wrote these or confessed these or read these together believed them to be more authoritative than the scriptures. In fact, Carl Truman, um, he's a guy that I would highly recommend you to to just kind of read. We may not agree with everything that he says, but Carl Truman gives some helpful background on the use of confessions by saying this. We've got the quote up on the screen so you can follow along. The Bible offers numerous indications that an agreed verbal confession of belief is an important part of its conception of God's people. In the Old Testament, the Shema Deuteronomy 6.4 grounds the identity of God's people in the identity of God himself in a manner that is confessional in both senses of the word, doctrinally as a statement of truth and liturgically as a public declaration of faith. The New Testament witnesses to a continuation of this pattern with Paul's reference to sayings that are true and worthy of all acceptance by the church. And indeed, his use of statements, which have a creed-like quality, like in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, great indeed, we confess is the mystery of faith and the mystery of godliness. And guess what? That's not a reference to the Old Testament. It's a, it's a common circulating confession. It is believed that the people of God recited together, read together, read corporately and congregationally. Paul's emphasis on faithful adherence to the form of the apostolic teaching also reflects this in 1 Timothy 1.13. And so what confessions do is they unite the people of God in the fight against Satan. You realize that's who we're fighting, right? Like we're fighting against Satan. Nobody's saying we shouldn't be fighting Satan. We are fighting Satan. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of this world, And so what confessions do is they unite the people of God in the fight against Satan and the lies that he tells us and the heresies that threaten the purity of the church. And so I'm not proposing that the text here in Matthew 10 directly commands us to do this, but I will say this, we are at a major disadvantage as such an individualistic Western culture and that we don't realize the corporate nature of our fight against Satan. Like, why, this, is, this is why we have so many who will say things, well, my faith is private. Did you know that like, literally no one said that before like, the 1960s in America? My faith's private. No, you read history and you read other cultures, and the, the faith of the people is, is just a corporate embodied experience together. And, and, and so this is why we hear things like my faith is private and why we have seen such a lethargic, malnourished understanding of gathering with the people of God on the first day of the week. Because, because we've, we've left these things and, 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 and the things that the Bible tells us over and over again are corporate ways of understanding who they are and who their God is. Confessions have been utilized by Christians for centuries to corporately express their beliefs by summarizing key foundational truths from scriptures in their confessions that unite us with the suffering and the victories of the saints before us. That's what confessions help tie our faith to. Not just something out in the clouds, not just something like, well, we just hope this is true. No, confessions like the Nicene Creed in the, in the fourth century after the death of Jesus, after the life of Jesus, throughout all of history has been has been stated so that we would tie our faith, not just to some like, We just hope this faith works out. No, it's a way for us to say, hey, there are saints and believers who from the word of God have confessed these core beliefs, these core things that identify us as the people of God. And we can relate with those people across all centuries, all times, all cultures, and all places. And they are an enormously significant aspect to our faith and to our mission as disciples of Jesus in a hostile world. It's a big text. But I hope that this morning what you have seen is that Jesus gives his disciples a mission, a mission that carries into us today, not in all the same regions of the earth and all the same moments, but we are very much in a moment in this time where if we don't have a foundation for what it looks, as, looks like as the people of God to engage the world with the word of God, with the truths, the, 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 the timeless eternal truths of the people of God, then man, we, we don't have much of a foundation. And we've, we've got to understand this. And so here's what I want us to do. If you're not asleep, would love for you to stand. love for us to stand. We're, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read a, a confession, a corporate confession together. This is the Nicene Creed. And you, we've been, I've been studying this for a couple of weeks and just um, working to understand where it came from and the origins of it. And it checks out. It checks out theologically. It checks out doctrinally. And we're just gonna read this together as a people. We'll have it here. We'll have it up here uh, on the next slide, Emma. Yeah, there it is. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from Light, True God from True God, begotten We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Maybe, maybe we, we can teach on this maybe at another time. Um, don't let the word Catholic throw you off. Uh, we're not Catholic. Catholic simply means we are one. We believe in, in, in one universal church. We believe that there are believers in all parts of the world who span all times. That's simply what that means. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the truths of your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would um, just, just use uh, what, what feels like a, a jumbled um, encouragement, a jumbled um, exhortation from your word, um, to to encourage us to spur our faith on, um, Lord, that we would seek, um, we would seek what it is that you would have us do in this world, Lord. We 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 confess um, our 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 fear and our anxiety. Um, sometimes our our abdication um, of what you have called us to as the people of God living in this world. We confess those things, um, but Lord, we have a great confidence in the truth. Um, that you are a God who will forgive, um, a God who, who through the righteousness of your son Jesus um, has provided a way for us to, to be at peace with you as our father. So we thank you for that. Lord, help us to be a, a courageous, clear, confident people who understand the consequence of following Jesus, who understand what um, the, the things that you have, have called us to. Help us to be set apart in this world Help us to be to be clear on, on, on what you've called us to and how you've called us to engage. Lord, give us, give us clarity on our message um, and, and, and that which you have, have told us in your word is is right. Um, and, and so, Lord, we just uh, pray that in this time we respond in worship to you and um, thanksgiving for our salvation uh, that you have given to us through your son Jesus and his work. We pray these things in his name, amen.